1: Hello and welcome to Baseball BarbaCast, the only baseball podcast in the entire world that was screaming so loud about Sean Maniah signing with the Giants that it lost its voice. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and I'm a scratchy, scratchy boy.
0: That's an authentic, that's some authentic baseball passion there. Waking up in the middle of the night, seeing the news about Sean Maniah to the Giants and just starting to just absolutely wail and scaring everyone living within the three block radius of you. That's what happened, right? That's why you don't have a voice. Some people just love ball. <laughs> I think we've proven that uh, as we churned out eight podcasts last week during the winter meetings. But we are back in our respective homes, our respective Zoom boxes. But the off-season rolls on and there's plenty more to talk about. I hope we remember how to do this. It's been like a whole three days since we last podcasted, which is... Seems pretty hard to believe, but I, I guess it's probably about time we get back on the horse here.
1: I I have never ridden a horse. Um, I've ridden a camel. Really? I've ridden a camel.
0: Never ridden a horse. Not even like as a kid, like you would go, it was never a thing?
1: Nope. Huh. I know you grew up next to a horse farm. Yeah, that,
0: that, that makes my neighborhood sound way more posh than it really was. <laughs> <laughs> I've always thought about that, uh, but yes, it's true. Uh, my favorite horse when I was a kid was this horse named Bobo, and my dad's my dad called me Bobo until I was about five because I loved that horse so much. so. Incredible. Shouts out to my dad.
1: Now, Jordan, speaking of horses, oh. the Mets are acquiring many for their stable, their starting mm. rotation is all of a sudden full of them as owner Steve Cohen is opening his checkbook and pouring the money out onto the heads of horses. That (laughs) metaphor fell apart.
0: I have a feeling Steve Cohen owns a horse or two. That seems like a pretty safe bet Um, uh, when you're that wealthy. That seems like some pretty common um, uh, rich person activities. But yes, we are going, of course, going to start with the latest Mets spending spree because the reality is... They are having multiple uh, spending sprees a week at this point as the Mets payroll has climbed to historic levels since we last recorded uh, on Thursday morning in San Diego, they have added Brandon Nimmo, or I guess they have retained Brandon Nimmo. They have added David Robertson, and they have also added Kodai Sanga, uh, which is, uh, that's certainly the most intriguing name here. Um, but let's actually, start, before we get to the, the payroll d- discussion, which is a certainly a discussion to be had, let's start with the baseball players. Brandon Nimmo, back when we were talking on Thursday morning, we were saying, okay, Mets, Yankees, is this it? Well, <laughs> clearly it was not it for the Mets. Nimmo was a huge deal, a huge deal. And I was starting to get to think that he was going to slip away. It uh, seems like the Giants also, uh, they're, they're, they're with the Red Sox now in the coming second Derby at this point, this offseason also had a strong offer on the table for Nimmo. But they went to the eighth year, they got it done, and now Nimmo remains in the outfield, which as we have noted, doesn't necessarily make them better, but it is better than losing
1: him. Nimmo in New York has always been a hilarious fit. It is not exactly the marriage that you would expect to work, right? Brandon Nimmo is from literally Wyoming. He is as earnest and I will use this word in a good way, as corny of a person as you will find in baseball, like as corny as it gets. But for whatever reason, he loves playing in New York. And I think he has grown into it over the years and this past season, he just seemed incredibly comfortable, took a big step forward defensively. And I think that, you know, again, at the end of the day, it's whoever gives you the most money. But there is something funny to me that in six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 12 years, whenever Brandon Nimmo is actually done playing, whether it's towards the end of the contract or not, he could be like a career Met, yeah. right? The Mets, if you take a look, besides David Wright, there are very few players who have spent their entire career as a Met. Even the like the best Mets, Piazza, Seaver, right, didn't only play as a Met. And like Brandon Nimmo could very well get his number retired by the Mets. That's just crazy to think about. Yeah, I mean, and, and
0: you know, there's some other candidates. We'll see what happens with Pete in his career. But even Lindor, by the end of his contract, we'll have to remember, oh, yeah, he was on Cleveland for, like, quite a while there to <laughs> the start as much as he, you know, Lindor fits so perfectly. Um, But Nimmo has – he doesn't know anything else, and he, he has become a perfect fit there. And while it does seem like he is not necessarily – right, he's not making them better – he was, became such an important part of the lineup. And as we were looking at this lineup this offseason without him, it, there wasn't really anything else out there that could have replaced him in, in a meaningful way, right? Because we, we knew they weren't really going to be in the mix for a shortstop. And because of that, and because they were not going after Judge, Nimmo was, was the best option. He was the best hitter available for them. And they got it done. And, and it, it, it puts them right back where they were. But that is, a, that is a very high level. And I think it was a necessary move.
1: Now, the biggest knock on Nimmo throughout his career has been his inability to stay healthy and stay on the field. Before this past season, I'm just going to go games <clears throat> games per year. 32, 69, 140, and 18. 69 and 19, played the whole 2020 season. 92 in 2021, right? So he had missed significant chunks of time almost every year of his big league career before playing in 151 games last year. Now, when you talk to Nimmo, he talks a lot about how he has taken steps to make sure that he stays healthier. Um, He does some weird like stuff with his legs that our friend Matthew Robertson wrote about um, in terms of like blood flow and constriction and whatever. Maybe it's Bubba Misa bullshit. Maybe it's not. But I do think that Nimmo can stay on the field more than he has in previous seasons. And if you take a look at his numbers when he's been on the field, this is as reliable as it gets and if you really believe that his defensive ability has taken another step forward in center, like this is a top 25 player in baseball, right? Yeah. I mean, he was a he was a five-win player uh in 2022
0: and that's kind of the level we're talking about. So, uh no, he's he's really good and and yeah, I mean it's it's an expensive uh guy to bring back, um but he earned it and I think that Mets fans as we know are not thinking about the eighth year of Brandon Nemo's contract and they shouldn't. So they're certainly happy uh, to bring him back uh, quickly on Robertson. The, the only interesting thing on Robertson, of course the Mets are trying to rebuild their bullpen around Edwin Diaz after signing him to the record deal early on in the, in the off season. Uh, and they have a bunch of rookies and guys you never heard of currently slotted in Robertson brings them some stability, some experience that they certainly lack. I just love this because Robertson, uh, my understanding is, is self-represented And (laughs) that Robertson was able to just, I guess, just give Epler a call and be like, Hey, I want $10 million. I'll come to you right now. Like that's, this is not complicated. And how easy is it for the Mets for any sort of one-year deal to be like, oh yeah, like a reliable reliever? Sure, that's like the easiest, easiest yes in the world, and easiest ten million dollars in the world for David Robertson to probably negotiate, uh, and he doesn't have to give five percent to anybody. So congratulations to him. Um, but that's that's an easy signing. And Robertson, when he was healthy, looked looked pretty good last year. So I mean, he's he's what thirty-seven. They they add another really old pitcher. So I guess that would be the only other knock on this move. But he's been good. He he looked pretty good for the Phillies. So that's an easy addition.
1: The other big name that the Mets added was Kodai Senga, probably the top player coming out of Japan this season. Now, it's interesting, Jordan, we we thought he was going to get the most money um, of any player coming out of Japan. Now, that, that didn't turn out to be the case. The Senga deal turned out to be, what, 575 Yep,
0: 575 and no posting fee for him. Um, so just five, $75 million is is, the,
1: uh, is the, the total outlay with an opt-out after the third year. Again, the money for the Mets doesn't actually matter. What does matter is Senga joining a rotation as now like the youngest uh, guy who's around. And him, and already, him and Tyler McGill. Him and Tyler McGill. And he's already 29. Now, a couple mm-hmm. of interesting things about Senga that jump out to me. The biggest... Well, let me just say something. We don't know how good these players are yet, right? We can talk to people who've seen them and we can trust reports and whatever. We as baseball watchers have not seen Kodai Senga play in America. And until we do, I feel hesitant to be like, this is exactly who this guy is because we just do not know. What I do like about Senga is how much he's pitched in the postseason in Japan. His team over there, the the SoftBank Hawks, they have won, what, like, an insane amount of games. Yeah, they won.
0: They they won, I believe, they were the team that won four in a row at one point. They haven't won the last few years, but yeah.
1: They won four in a row, and because of that, he's pitched in a lot of big spots in Japan in their version of the postseason. And obviously, it's a little different over here. We understand that. I just said that. But that is the type of thing where I don't think he's going to, have issues pitching in front of big crowds and big moments. Oh yeah. In terms of, in terms of that level of transition, I don't think there'll
0: be any issue. He pitched in the world baseball classic as well. He's been one of their best pitchers internationally. And the other thing with, with the Japanese pitchers is yes, they had the minor leagues, um, but generally the best players like Otani, like Darvish, like, uh, like Senga have been pitching at the highest level in Japan since they were 18 or 19, right? This isn't a situation where, they didn't start their major league career until they were 23, 24, 25. I mean, these guys have been pitching uh, or performing at the highest level that they can in Japan for over a decade now, even though he, he you know, doesn't turn 30 until next month. And I did a lot of research on Senga for a piece I wrote on him for Fox. And just looking into what, what, what kind of pitcher is he, because it's very easy to just throw the, the great stats up and be like, oh, well, this dude's awesome. He had an ERA under two. He was throwing, you can see, oh, he throws really hard. He had the hardest average fastball of any, or, or second hardest behind Roki Sasaki. Remember that name, Roki Sasaki. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> or YouTube him, because it's crazy. Um, you know, the numbers are great. The strikeouts are great, right? That's also something that some of the best pitchers in Japan haven't necessarily uh, exhibited before they came over, even the likes of Tanaka. Um, but, I mean, senga has been been striking out dudes like crazy over there. And his only knock has been durability as well. Uh, He's only thrown over 180 innings, I believe, once in his career. He is kind of a more slender uh, guy, but the stuff is not in question. It's a legit fastball. It's one of the best splitters, fork balls in the world uh, with a good slider as well. So obviously they believe he can start. That's why they paid him uh, this much money. I do wonder if maybe the medical questions or durability questions maybe limited his ultimate uh, contract, because this was lower than what I thought it was going to be. Um, and at the same time, I also think the Mets had an advantage that this is exactly the kind of place where he wanted to pitch. He clearly wanted to pitch in a big market that was ready to win. And they checked a lot of boxes there. And maybe there were other teams that were willing to go to that number or higher. Uh, but they are a perfect fit for him. The Mets are are now the team that has signed the most players out of MPB, uh, since Hideo Nomo in 1995. So it's a great fit. I'm super excited to watch him. And also it's good because he'll be the third or fourth starter, right? It's not like he's going to come and be like, oh my God, Kodai Senga, save us. He can come in and, and
1: really you know learn, learn from some of the best. So let's do uh, departures and arrivals. Okay, so we have DeGrom, Tylon Walker, Chris Bassett, Trevor Williams out the door. Mm-hmm. All right? You're basically replacing DeGrom with Verlander, which let's call that a wash to a little bit of a win, I think. Yeah. Just because Verlander is going to be more reliable than DeGrom and is going to pitch more. So we'll call that a plus. Mm -hmm. You're replacing Bassett with Senga. Now that is a mystery box and a half. (laughs) We just have no idea how that'll be. Bassett was, you know, uh, was so good at an advanced date, like 33, 34 last year. He was very reliable through a lot of innings. We just don't know. I was going to say.
0: I was going to say that I think that the most important thing there, and I think even though I'm sure the Mets aren't done, it seems pretty safe to assume Bassett will not be coming back. I could be wrong, but let's just say he's moving on. To me, the biggest thing there is the innings. He was their leader in innings last year, 181. That's the thing that is going to be the hardest for Sanga to replace. Now, maybe it it cancels out because I'm counting more on Verlander to give you innings than DeGrom, but that I think is the thing that stands out in terms of the Bassett for
1: Sanga swap. And then you have in Taiwan Walker leaving, going to the Phillies, and he is essentially being replaced by Jose Quintana. Mm -hmm. Again, Walker was not lights out or anything last year, but he threw 157. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some innings. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if Quintana at age 34 Mm -hmm. is going to be able to replace that so easily. Sure. So I will, I would also call that a wash. And then, you know, I mentioned Trevor Williams, that role has, been handed over to Eliezer Hernandez, who they had traded over from Miami. And I really don't, I think what do you think about that one? That one.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty similar. I think the more more important one, and we love Trevor. We'll talk about him in a second, is is the rest of the bullpen, right? Lugo. Lugo uh, still a free agent. And I believe Ottavino is Correct. also still a free agent. Um, and so far they've, they've only, of course they retained Diaz, but then they, they added Robertson and a couple other, you know, waiver claims here and there. So,
1: and Brooks Raley, who
0: Brooks Raley for Joe Ellie Rodriguez, who's now in the Red Sox. So, so yeah, so that's the thing. You look at this and you say, wow, all right, now their payrolls, uh, 330 million. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> um, are they better? Are they better? Um, I don't know. I think they could be. But uh, offensively, it's hard to see where the upside is necessarily. Besides maybe a fully healthy Marte, which is not something I necessarily want to count on. Um, And yeah, I I don't. I'm trying to see right where the offensive upside is. I
1: guess I think the ceiling is higher and the floor is lower. Mm -hmm. It's a good way to put it. Good way to put it. Because in the rotation, if Verlander is healthy and Quintana is healthy and Scherzer is healthy, right? Like, and they all throw 135 to 150 innings, 170 innings. That is a top four rotation in baseball. But at the same time, all these guys are on the wrong side of not just 30. Right. They're on the wrong side of 34. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what that means is it could really fall off a cliff. And then offensively, I think the name that offers upside is is Francisco Alvarez. If he can come up and he can mash and he can be an important part of this team, there is – Room for it to be a more dangerous lineup, and I think that's
0: one of the biggest questions left of the Mets' offseason in terms of what they do next. Is you have these three prospects in Alvarez, Beatty, and Vientos. I know Vientos is a tier below that, but still, do all dudes that have crushed the upper minors, right? And trying to figure out where they fit and how many plate appearances you want to plan on giving them going into 2023 is unclear at this stage. I do believe and agree with you that Alvarez has the clearest path to at-bats, but I would imagine they still would like to add some more on offense. I just
1: don't know exactly what that looks like. Let's talk about the money, because that really is the story here. (laughs) The estimated Mets payroll, according to Fangraphs.com, is $335 million. That is the largest ever. It would be the largest ever. It's very jarring to look at a payroll number at one that starts with a three, whether it is 35 from Oakland or 335 from the Mets. It is quite something to see. Now, it is all credit to one Mr. Steve Cohen, who is the 97th richest person on planet Earth and who bought the Mets as a passion project and is acting in a way that all other owners should act. Couple things. Number one, stop acting surprised, okay? (laughs) Every time they sign another person, it's like, oh my God, how is this? How do they afford it? This is exactly what Steve Cohen was expected to do. This is exactly what Steve Cohen said he was going to do. This is exactly what everyone who knew Steve Cohen said he was going to do. The fact that he has spent hundreds and hundreds of million dollars on the Mets is not a shock.
0: Mm-hmm. No,
1: a- not at, at all. all. No. And
0: remember, it's, it's a lot more than 335 million. That is just all the salaries added together. Um, but the the real key thing here and, and where you get to the number that is truly mind blowing is that because of all the different levels of competitive balance tax that they have, blasted past, including the top level 293 million, I believe, which has been nicknamed the Steve Cohen tax, which I, I was going back and reading about that. And I was like, when did that actually originate? Apparently, it was actually a Brandon Nimmo quote. Uh, when he was asked about it earlier this season or like at the beginning of this season or maybe right after Cohen bought the team or no it would have been this season because they added it in during this last CBA and they asked Cohen about it he's like yeah like he said Cohen's quote was it's better than having a bridge named after you (laughs) which is such a baller quote because he's like yeah like oh you're gonna name something after me where it's me spending a lot of money on baseball players like Sounds good to me. Like that's that's no problem. And last year, you know, they they went over two hundred and fifty. They had the highest payroll in baseball, and it was like wow. But I remember last year thinking like they can probably go farther than this, and now it's happening and going past two hundred and ninety. What that really means is that they have just on taxes on the overages, overages alone is seventy five million dollars. So their tax bill is bigger than six teams' payrolls right now. Um, and but again. This is nothing to Steve Cohen. He is so much wealthier than every other owner that this is why he is able to do this so easily. At the same time, as we've seen in Philadelphia and San Diego, you don't need to be worth $14 billion to spend a ton on your payroll. You really only need to be worth 2 or $3 billion to spend like crazy in free agency. And I think what we're learning here, as as we clearly have... <laughs> This 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 offseason and over the past couple of years and we're entering this new new age of free agency of it's not about how rich your owner is. It's not about who your GM is. It is simply who your owner is, or your market, right? It's not about the market. It's not about it's just about having the right guy who wants to do it. It's all it is. It, we very well could see in the next 10 years someone buy the Royals and do the same thing in Kansas City or buy the Guardians and do the same thing in Cleveland. Of course, it's easier to do it in New York and Philadelphia and San Diego, I realize that. At the same time, uh, there was an interview uh, circulating uh, a couple of weeks ago about the the old owners of the Padres in 2009, basically publicly saying like, yeah, like in this market, we can't do this, sorry. It's like, no, you can. If you were someone else. (laughs) So that's really, it's, it's this simple and it's fascinating to watch. And I hope it works. It is pretty jarring to watch. And it certainly does put more pressure on the team. I mean, sure. Steve Cohen's going to be fine. He's going to be rich, whether they win a hundred games or lose a hundred games, but it does put, I mean, it, it does mean like, yeah, you you better win. I mean, you you better win and and that's fun, but that makes it fun as neutral observers. It's not a bad thing, not rooting against them, but it undeniably does bring
1: pressure to it. It is a win-win situation. If you're neutral, because, Mm -hmm. If this Mets team wins the World Series, it will be entertaining, Mm -hmm. right? This bizarre amalgamation of mercenaries and Pete Alonso, right? If they win the whole thing, crazy shit will happen, and it'll be a, a wild ride, and I think everyone but Phillies and Mets fans will be able to sit and watch and enjoy that. And at the same time, if it doesn't work, And it falls. You mean Phillies and
0: Braves fans? You mean Phillies and Braves fans?
1: (laughs) Oh, Phillies, Braves, and Yankees fans. But at the same time, at the same time, (laughs) if it doesn't work and it all falls apart and this team loses in the wild card round again, that's also hilarious and also entertaining that they spent three hundred and thirty-five million dollars on freaking three playoff games. Right? Okay, and that very well could happen because this team is not substantially better than they were last year. And it's baseball. I mean, we've seen the teams that the Dodgers have built over the
0: past few years. And even the teams that the Mets had coming into the season when you add Scherzer and all the, and and you have Lindor now and you extend Lindor, like, yeah, like these are, these are crazy rosters, you know, and that's awesome. That's exciting. And and the the larger point that we want to see is, okay, we want to see these teams succeed so that other owners are like, all right, yeah, I probably should do that. Because the reality of what we have right now is the majority of the league even not, and for, let, let's move Oakland. Like this is a totally, we're not even talking about the small market teams. We're talking about the teams who do have money, who are in a situation that could spend and could win. I'm talking about the Mariners. I'm talking about the Blue Jays who are trying to spend. You could still say you're talking about the Braves. Talk about the Cubs, right? The Cubs. And you have the GMs who are, Or the Red Sox, right? GMs who are more scared to just go nuts and say, screw it, here's a 10th year, here's an 11th year, here's whatever it takes to get this free agent to either stay or to come to our team. And there are most GMs are still scared to do that. But if you have an owner who says, fuck it, just get the good player, then they're gonna win out pretty much every time in these free agency situations. And this is going to be a, a, a big test over these next few years to see which of these teams can can really prove it, right? And
1: and can show their owners, yeah, it is worth it to go crazy for these guys because we win with stars. This is not an era in which restraint is going to win the day. I think that is my biggest takeaway from free agency so far. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I'll say before we take a quick break and talk about non-teams, that, other teams that are not the Mets, it's not your money, okay? Yeah. It's not your money. If you're a Mets fan and you're worried at all and you're thinking about 2032, you're another fan of another team, you're like, how is this sustainable? doesn't matter. It's not your money. Steve Cohen has like 12 houses. He bought the baseball team for fun. It's not your money. Who cares? I'm willing to have a conversation at another point about like how this relates to the 2009 Yankees and the idea of buying a championship, right? And whether that is a different experience as a fan Mm -hmm. than having all the guys come up together or whatever, But for the sake of this conversation right now, it's not your money. And if you're able to have a team on the field that is competitive and entertaining, the fact that the payroll is a $335 million list of mercenaries, it doesn't matter. It really, truly doesn't matter. All right, Jordan, let's take a quick break. I need to have a sip of water uh, and some honey and maybe uh, an entire lemon to fix the enormous rip currently in my throat. And we will be back to talk about other free agents like Trevor Williams right after. Love you, Trevor.
0: Negro Leagues Baseball Museum President Bob Kendrick hosts the Sirius XM original podcast, Black Diamonds.
1: The Negro Leagues didn't care what color you were, and they didn't care what gender you were. Can you play? Hear stories of the leagues and legends that shaped sport, culture, and society. That's why the museum is so important. It's like, we are never going to forget you. Episodes of the award-winning Black Diamonds
0: are now available wherever you get your podcasts. We're not talking about balls and strikes. We're talking about
1: your life. And we're back here on Baseball BarbaCast. I'm Jake Mitz. That's Jordan Schusterman. If someone could overnight me a lozenge... For this old scratchy throat, that would be much appreciated. Okay, enough about the Mets. Let's just go bing, bang, boop, rip our way through some quick other free agent news before talking about some of the top free agents remaining on the market. Over the weekend, Kevin Kiermeyer to the Blue Jays. I don't believe we have terms quite yet. Jordan, your first thoughts about this signing?
0: Um, the first one is it, it will feel familiar because I feel like especially over the last couple of years, the Blue Jays and Rays play way more than 19 times a year. I just feel like that is a series that I'm every week. I'm like, oh, the Jays and Rays are playing again. All right. And so I've seen plenty of Kevin Kiermeyer in Toronto and against the, against the Jays and uh he's a, he's a great fit there we know that in moving Teoscar Hernandez earlier in the offseason it seemed like part of that was to open up space in center field so that we can slide Springer over it seemed like they were hard after Cody Bellinger who would have been an upgrade certainly defensively and now we know that defense is what they're going for in signing Kiermaier the the bigger thing here cuz i know i know you love Kiermaier and i think he's i think he's great he's super fun one of the most likable players we have in the league he, for a lot of reasons um so I think he's a great fit I don't think it's that complicated for me this is more about the blue Jays because I noticed uh really uh, you know at the end of last week I was looking around and if you compare them to the rest of the postseason teams they have added or retained by far the least of any of the the postseason teams from this year and it really started to hit me just kind of dipping my toes into Jay's Twitter like they're pretty. They're pretty uh, unsettled right now. Like, the, and and I understand it, right? And sure, you see kind of the mess that the Red Sox are, and you see that the Yankees all, all they've do, done has been retained Judge, and the Orioles haven't done anything yet. At the same time, and the Rays haven't upgraded that much the same time, like the Jays are in that window, right? That's It's exactly the kind of team that should be going so hard after after upgrades in this kind of offseason, after the way their season ended, and they haven't done it yet. It seems like they've been trying, but they haven't done it yet. So that's why it's just nice to see the Jays get something done.
1: They, they're not in danger of becoming the White Sox, right? Where the no. window opens and closes before you can blink your eyes. This team is not that, and I don't want... Mm -hmm. Jays fans to act or be worried that that's the case, right? At the same time, I understand that this the fan base wants this organization to step on the throat, right? They want to go sign one or two more guys and like be the favorite in the division for the next three years. Yeah. Because as it is right now, you've built this really good team with a lot of really good young players, but for what? Right. Yeah. You don't want to be a 92 win team in that division. Right. You want to be a 99 win team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I
0: think that's the difference, though, because I do think there are some parallels with the White Sox. The difference is that the White Sox seem to just not even really be trying. And like ownership wise there, they're just like, yep, this is what we have. Hope we'll hopefully we're more healthy. The Jays have clearly been in on a lot of guys and they've just come up a little bit short. Now, you don't get points for trying, but it does tell me that they are they are actively pursuing more upgrades. Now, looking at the free agent market, I'm not really sure who else is out there that is an obvious fit um, to upgrade for them, although I, I hope that they do do that. We do know we're still waiting on a, on a catcher trade for them. It seems like most likely to be Danny Jansen. That, that's another way they could upgrade their team. Uh, to to kind of build from that, that surplus. But yeah, I just, I, I need to see more from them. And it does seem like they're trying a lot of things. And this just happened to be the first one that stuck. So yes, congrats to the Jays uh, for luring someone north of the border. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer, I mean, you'll love him immediately. He's, he's great. Uh, let's talk about Sean Maniah quickly. This is the most recent news uh, came in overnight. The Giants two years, 25 million with an opt-out. Um, I know you were pretty disenchanted with Sean Maniah by the end of the regular season and in the postseason. He certainly did not look like a pitcher of value. Um, so gi- give give that take of Sean Maniah and then I'll, I'll flip it and go a little more positive. No, I, I, I'm, I'm, I've done a
1: 180. <laughs> what? Okay, okay, tell me, go ahead. Giants pitching development could do anything. They could mm-hmm. turn George Schusterman into a three starter. So mm-hmm. I think that Sean Maniah is a really good fit here. It's basically a... Less risky, not less risky, lower ceiling version of what they did with Carlos Rodon last Mm -hmm. year, where it's a two-year deal with an opt-out after one, where if he shoves this year, he gets to bounce. And if he doesn't, they get to keep him. I think that at worst, Sean Maniah is a back-end rotation guy. I just still have postseason brain and don't think that as currently constructed, he's someone who can start. Remember, he got absolutely obliterated and torched in game four of the NLCS. That's the last I saw of this guy. Now, he's been a very effective pitcher pretty recently for Oakland.
0: Yeah, he was, he was good. He was, he was really solid in, in 2021. I mean, he was uh, about a three-win pitcher, you know, more than a strikeout printing. Like, and I just watch him, mean, and he's been pretty durable. I agree he looked like crap by the end of the season. Um, but a, a healthy version of Benaya with a good pitching development – I, I'm, I'm in. i in. I think he could be a really solid mid rotation starter. And also, you know, if you want to keep making the, the Carlos parallels, I mean, again, listen, Manaya is a guy who has had the upside for a long time. He was a first round pick for a reason, and we have seen the stuff there. There's not. It's not like there's not stuff to work with uh, with him. So I'm optimistic about this. And 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 like you said, also Boris. So you could see why him wanting to to kind of maybe
1: hit the free agent market again next year
0: if he pitches well, and he should pitch well in in that ballpark.
1: And getting him away from Mike Clevenger so their mediocrity can't rub against one another, right? That's another yes, that big has positive. Uh, last one to talk about Trevor Williams, friend of the show, signing a two-year deal with the Washington Nationals. Jordan, he's coming home. He's coming home. Coming home? Not really. But you know, he's Trevor he's coming is, to our home. This is helpful for me and Jordan because yes. we can send Trevor tips on where to go get dinner. Exactly, exactly. The hashtag
0: natitude is flowing and- uh, I'm just happy to see Trevor get a two-year deal. I mean, he's had a really strange, <laughs> a strange last few years. Um, of course he was kind of a workhorse with the pirates for a while. Um, but then defined to, to, and, and then of course he had that, that year with the Cubs before being traded in the, in the hobby bias deal. He ended up being a lot more helpful for the Mets, uh, than hobby bias. <laughs> Honestly, uh, was, I know buys was good at the end uh, of last season, but, um, he was really important for the Mets this season. And for him to be able to parlay, of course, he, he wasn't uh, going to start uh, that much in that rotation. But uh, the Nats are a great place for him to go and throw a shit ton of innings. Work with some of the young guys in that rotation, like Josiah Gray uh, and Kate Cavalli and Mackenzie Gore, and and then they could flip him, right? I mean, he's is a very a flippable contract uh, either this year uh, or after the season. So just happy Trevor could find a two year deal because anyone that knows not not just not just us, but even if you follow him on Twitter, one of the best guys uh, in the sport, and 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 I'm I'm just happy to see him uh, find a good good landing spot where he's gonna he's gonna really get to pitch. I'm, I'm excited to see him throw every fifth day again, like
1: he was with the Pirates. Let's flip things forward. This is now the intermission. Okay, of the 2022 2023 free agent bonanza. I would say about half the names are off the board, maybe a little bit more. The winter meetings are in the rearview mirror. I celebrated the intermission by losing my voice at my friend's wedding over the weekend. So now let's take a look at what is remaining. We've got Carlos, Carlos, and Dan's Bose. Dan's Bose, Chris
0: Bose, Andrew Bose, Nathan Bose, Ben DeBose. Uh, yes. I guess los. we should be saying los. uh Carlos Rodon Carlos Correa the clear best players available Dansby Swanson speaking of weddings congratulations to him on his
1: uh marriage to uh one Mal Pugh over the weekend I love this because it's like oh man we really haven't heard a whole lot on Dansby yeah that might be because he texted his agent hey getting married can we wait till after that Which also worked out pretty well
0: with the market, considering we were all uh, expecting Dansby to be maybe the last of the shortstops.
1: But it's very possible that, yeah, he was like, yeah, I don't want to hear about it until December 12th. Sometimes it's a galaxy brain strategy of Aaron Judge making fake TMZ videos to wait out the market. And sometimes man is just in love.
0: Uh, So Swanson, Correa, Rodan, the clear top three. Um, and then still some interesting pitchers left, albeit ones with qualifying offers. Of course, Rodon has one, but Bassett and Ivaldi. It seems like maybe the qualifying offer part of what is holding their market down. Uh, and then I would say the second, the best hitters available: Ben Benintendi, Profar, who we've heard nothing about. Then you get kind of into J.D. Martinez, and then the the risk. Uh, risk reward of Michael Conforto, Michael Brantley, Gene Segura, Brandon Drury, uh, another kind of uh, versatile guy, still available. So definitely still some impact players uh, available on the market. We're not necessarily going to preview who, who's going where and what, where the fits are, but, but is there one name here that's besides, this, besides the top three? Because we're already thinking about Correa and Rodon and, and, and Dansby now. But any, any of that next
1: year that you're, you're especially interested in? I mean, I take a look at this list and it's like, okay, who could be an all-star, mm-hmm. right? Who could be an all-star next year? Joey Gallo comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, Gallo's Gallo's down there, sure. He was an All-Star as recently as a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. I know it feels a world away because he was booed into submission. But still, (laughs) he was really good relatively recently. And then the other name that jumps out to me is Matt Carpenter. Yeah, uh, right. I was going to mention him too, yeah. Matt Carpenter injury updates for the last two months of the Yankee season was like story number one behind Aaron Judge breaking American League home run record. and. I'm fascinated if Team Siki has anything real left. I would imagine he gets a major league deal somewhere to be I would on. Hope so. that, I bench. would
0: hope that the league wouldn't whiff this time for the dude that just had like a
1: 1200 OPS. And then Johnny Cueto, who is you know yes. incredible vibes and just threw 150 something innings of pretty decent baseball. I mean, he doesn't mm-hmm. strike anybody out mm-hmm. at all anymore, but it's still Johnny Cueto who could be a back end starter in your rotation and. Certainly, is it going to put people in a worse mood?
0: Yeah, the the other two that stand out to me, we we already talked about Cueto um, coming into coming into this off season, uh, and but the other one that that stands out to me is is Elvis Andrews, who was weirdly back and like totally a solid shortstop for the White Sox after the trade. One of the few things that went right for the White Sox, along with Cueto, he's a free agent and maybe could be an option uh, once he <laughs> once the the you know Dansby goes, and then. I mean, this is a weird one because I don't know how really good he is anymore, but Gary Sanchez, like I've been so focused on the catching market. Think about how much we talked about Gary Sanchez. Like, just Gary Sanchez was just such a topic of discussion and debate and argument. And does this guy good? Is this does this guy suck? Should we free Gary? Does Gary belong? And they just went to the twins. He wasn't he wasn't bad, but he wasn't good. And now he is completely irrelevant. Like no one is talking about him as a top catching option. And it's it's just funny how quickly guys can can go from from talk of the town to because yes, Correa went from the Astros to the twins too. Uh, but we were still talking about him all the time because he was gonna be a free agent and he was still really good. But man, I mean, Gary t- is talk about the express lane to out of the out of the limelight. I mean, he really did that pretty quickly.
1: It's funny, right? Because There was so much whining in New York about is he good, is he bad, is he good, is he bad. And all we needed was a little bit of time in Minneapolis, Minnesota for the answer to be revealed as he's mid. He's fine. That's it. Like he's fine. Right. Okay.
0: Which for a catcher is still arguably decently valuable. And so that's why I do think that someone could still definitely use him because we're still waiting on the Murphy trade. We're still waiting on, you know, Vasquez to sign. You know, Zanino's out there. Um, someone is going to need Gary Sanchez this year. And I'm curious to see who it ends up being.
1: I have one more thought on the Baltimore Orioles. Oh, you know, please. We, talked, yeah. we talked a lot on our most recent pod about the fallacy of liftoff and how their promise to spend has not actualized and why they won't. The thing that keeps coming to my mind is there's no way they're spending money on a player with a qualifying offer. Yeah. That <laughs> is an organization that values draft picks. Even now, much too much, and I would be very skeptical that they would be willing to do that. And that takes Bassett, Evaldi off the table, even though I think Evaldi is a great fit for them.
0: Yeah, that's too bad. Profar is a weird one. Profar, you mentioned like, oh, who can I picture being an all-star? I weirdly can't picture him being an all-star, but I think he's good. <laughs> like He's a useful, useful player. Like stats-wise, I can't picture him being an all-star. Uh, but I think he's a good player that would fit on a ton of teams, so that is is definitely one to watch. Uh, all right, Jake, let us move to our uh, mailbag portion of the the episode. Do you have any any you have anything on ProFar before we get to our question?
1: No, I am enjoying this part of the off season. I like when the down list names start to move. I really do. The Grankies and the Brandon Belts Ooh, yeah. and the Will Myrai mm-hmm. and the Drew Smilens. Evan Longoria. Evan Longoria is out there. Does he still something left. Yeah. Mike Zunino is, b- yes. is bouncing around, picking up calls from his agent. Jose Iglesias is going to play 130 games at shortstop for somebody. Andrew McCutcheon will do something fun. <laughs> yes, in uniform. Will
0: Myers. Dude, Will Myers is a free agent. I, it's hard to picture him
1: on another team at this point. There are players who we lose in the discourse – Mm-hmm. Of the f- the offseason, but who are still characters in the world of baseball? Zach oh, yeah. Britton was yeah. once the best relief pitcher in the world. Yeah. He does not have an employer. Yeah. And I can't wait for those dominoes to fall. Sergio mm-hmm. Romo, is he done? There's, Robinson Cano. A, Endless yes. lists of relievers. Uh, Robinson
0: Cano. Yes, he is done. Robinson Cano. Definitely done. Uh, and hey, trade. Maybe. Can we get trade? That'd be a trade. Maybe trade. Trade to talk about. That'd be sweet. All right. Let's move on to our mailbag. We have a great question. Again, you can email us from ba- at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. This question comes from Mark. Mark says, hi, Cespedes crew. That's us. Hi. As a UK-based baseball fan and deluded New York Mets supporter, who should I drunkenly support at this year's London Series games between the Cubs and the Cardinals? Which team best deserves my unwavering fandom three and a half hours? Cheers, Mark. P.S. The dead ball mailbag feature- fe- featuring Pussy Taboe and his home address being doxed 75 years after his death was podcast magic. And like Aaron Judge's baseball career, it's probably all downhill from here. Damn. He was a lot, of shots, a lot of shots fired there. But hopefully, oh, hey, good news, uh, Mark. We got more at Deadball Mad Libs coming up. So stick around for that. But let's answer your question first. Mark, uh, UK-based. I don't know if that means he's a UK native or if he is just a UK-based. <laughs> UK but the point is, is that it sounds like he will be in attendance for the Cubs and Cardinals on June 24th and or June 25th, 2023 in London, England. And the first thing that stands out to me, Jake, is him asking who deserves my fandom for three and a half hours. May I remind you how the last uh, two London (laughs) series games went (laughs) between the Red Sox and Yankees, both of which went far longer than three and a half hours. So this is important because you will likely be supporting them for longer than three and a half hours, because remember, we had 17 to 13 in four hours and 42 minutes. And then on Sunday, we had 12 to 8 in four hours and 24 minutes. So this is good. Now, listen, I assume it's going to be in the same stadium, same ballpark situation. Maybe not. The point is, you're in for a slugfest. And that may, that may uh, help uh, give us a, a
1: tip as to who we should root for. But what do you think, Jake? Well, there are two ways to approach this experience. One is with neutrality. You could show up to the London Series and grab yourself a beverage and just enjoy a nice game of baseball in the queen's land. Oh, sorry. The king's land. You know what I mean? Or you could pick a side and you could lean in. You could go full ultra. You could get a tattoo, get in a fight, die for something, pick a hill to perish on. And I think that's what you should do because that will be undeniably a more enjoyable experience. I love the idea of temporary unwavering fandom, right? That you cannot be swayed within the very strict boundaries of your fandom. Now, I need to know a little bit more about you because whatever team you want to support, it says a lot more about you than it does about the team. Do you want to win? Probably pick the Cardinals. Do you want an underdog? Probably pick the Cubs. What matters to you as a person and as a fan? If you want to pick the cards, you can brag about all the rings. You can brag about signing Wilson Contreras away. That feels perfect for British style chirping, right? That's true. That's true. We stole your guy. He's on our team now. Suck an egg. Now, if you want to go with the Cubs, you can make fun of how everyone hates St. Louis as a, a city, which I personally disagree with, but it is definitely a narrative. He, this might be That might be news to Mark. Mark might not even know that's a thing. But it is. Uh, and then I would say one of the best British sports pastimes is yelling at bad ownership. Mm. Feels like every five minutes we have a big banner being unfurled at a stadium saying Glazer out or you know, Abramovich, get out of town. So if you enjoy that part of fandom, the Cubs are the team for you. Can you imagine if there was like a Ricketts out banner at Olympic Stadium in London? That'd be amazing. Here's one other uh, factor, because you mentioned
0: what do we know about Mark? He does mention that he is a Mets fan or a Mets supporter. And so how does that how, how does that relate? Say we get a Steven Matz-Marcus Stroman matchup. Um, perhaps talk about first... The- 21 win by two. But this is what I'm saying. It's possible as a Mets fan, you would like to watch Steven Matz give up 15 runs, in which case, you know, go Cubs go. Uh, Or you would like to uh, watch Marcus Stroman give up 15 runs, uh, in which case, you know, you can be one of the best fans in baseball uh, for a few days. And so in that case, and again, thinking back to the slugfest element of this, the Cardinals certainly have more firepower as it stands. However, personality-wise, the notion of Seiya Suzuki or Christopher Morel, who is just an absolute delight, um, or even you know, so, you know, some of these guys like. Uh, like, well, I guess I was going to say Frank Schwindel is now in the KBO. They they had when they had like the wisdom Schwindel uh, guys. That that like, was an hit. entertaining bad baseball team. It, exactly. Exactly. So now it's a little bit less so, but they still have some so personality wise. I think I would lean Cubs. But if you're hoping to win uh, and like enjoy scoring a lot of runs for the team that you're rooting for Cardinals seem like a safer bet. Like Juan Yepes
1: has hidden three homers that weekend for sure. Absolutely. Jordan, let's let's do it. Let's do our Mad Libs. It's time. Mark <laughs> mentioned what the what what he really wanted to hear. Deadball Mad Libs. Can you explain the bit while I pull up my notes? Yes.
0: So uh, this is a a, a segment we introduced earlier this off season. Again, on our old podcast, we used to do something called the B-Ref Battle, where Jake and I would dig into the baseball reference archives and find the funniest baseball names we could and then talk about them and make jokes about them. But really what that segment taught us is that baseball, particularly 100 years ago, was a fascinating, hilarious, goofy thing. The world was a very different place. And And in turn, we would like to celebrate that era of baseball by... Uh, presenting some stories of that era of baseball and of these players' lives and careers. And to turn this into a a bit of a podcast game, as one of us reads reads from either their Sabre page or their Wikipedia page, we will omit certain words or phrases within the sentence and have the other one guess what they're about to say in a special game of Dead Ball Mad Libs. Again, Jake, hopefully you can give me a little bit more direction this time uh, than the first time we did this. Uh, whether I'm looking for a verb or an adjective or whatever. But either way, let's do it. Deadball man lives again, I have not heard anything about this, so this is totally improv, and we will see how it goes. Jake, who are we
1: learning about today? Cupid Childs was one of the best-hitting Major League second basemen during the late 19th century, not to mention a better-than-average fielder who possessed great range on the diamond. Cupid, born Clarence, Eventually grew to five eight and weighed a solid one hundred and eighty five pounds. Which in his at, l- at that time, I mean that's 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 a, that's a really like a uh, he, he is he was a, a unit, not quite, but he was big. It is safe to assume that his resemblance to the fictional matchmaker was the reason for his cherubic nickname. He is also referred to in various newspaper accounts as Fats, Fatty, and even the noun. Even the, 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 fat fanny, the,
0: oh boy, something big. Oh boy. I don't know. The, the, the fat man, just the fat man. <laughs> the dumpling. <laughs> the dumpling. I want, oh, I'm excited to hear more about this Cupid, uh, uh, what he looked, looking like Cupid,
1: but go ahead. Clarence Childs was born to Singleton and Caroline Childs in Calvert County, Maryland on August 8th, 1867. Child's father was a planter and a farmer. According to the 1860 census, the child's farm was valued at dollar amount. Ooh, it was valued at $50,000. $1,000. <laughs> okay. I went a little heavy there. Okay. Where's <laughs> Steve Cohen's farm? The 1870 census notes that the child's family had 11 children living at home. Very apt. <laughs> <laughs> the, child's. the childs. The childs had 11 of them. Childs. Many childs. Basically, his father passes away, uh, and the whole family moves to Baltimore City. While growing up in Baltimore, he's playing on the local sandlots. His occupation, when he's first listed in the Baltimore City Directory in 1885, was? This is him or his dad? Him. His
0: dad this had perished. Uh, his, his official occupation was he was a waiter. Ooh, no, Jordan. That is okay. much too normal. He was a can maker. Hey, what, what you do all day? I make cans. What of it?
1: Hey, what is um? what does your fiance do for work?
0: He's a, he's a can maker. You're, you know, you have cans, right? You ever get buy a can at the store? Well, he makes those.
1: Someone has to make the cans, man. The can, he's a can maker. All right, so he's playing semi-pro ball, bouncing around teams, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Maryland, And then he travels out to Kalamazoo, Michigan to try out for a team. And this is where Cupid really blasts on to the national radar. And I'm just going to read a a bit of an article from the, I believe this is from the Chicago Tribune on March 25th, 1900. A full article about him, okay? Childs' debut as a ball player. He wears divided skirts at first practice. Okay, okay. All right. Childs is the most curiously built man in the baseball business. He is about as wide as he is long and weighs about as much as Jeffries. As as what? Jeffries. Jeffries. I mean, dude, Jeffries
0: just getting put on blast. I mean, this, Jeffries catching strays. Who's Jeff? The whole all of Chicago just knows that Jeffries is
1: the big guy. <laughs> Weighs about as much as Jeffries. Man, that is tough. <laughs> Minding his own business. Also remember,
0: 5'8", 180.
1: Not He's that big. huge. Yet there are a few men in the league who can get over the ground faster than the dumpling. <laughs>
0: <When he laughs> go ahead. Go when ahead.
1: he reported to the Kalamazoo Club, he came in on a side door pullman. I believe that's a train and presented himself to the management of the celery eaters and asked for a trial. What an amazing sentence. I just want to read it again. This to me is the essence of baseball in 1900. When he reported to the Kalamazoo club, he came in on a side door Pullman and presented himself to the management of the celery eaters and asked for a trial. The manager thought he was joking after looking at his short length and broad girth, telling him he would make, quote, a better fat man in a sideshow than a ball player. Damn! I mean,
0: think about the determination for this guy who made it all the way. He took the Pullman to Kalamazoo, and all he wants is just, he
1: he just wants the celery eaters to give him a chance. A search was made for a uniform that would fit him. The ultimate... (laughs) Frickin' roast, right? <laughs> Sorry, you can't try out. Nothing fits you. Yeah, it's and like this you guy m- is 5'8", 185. He's not that
0: big. Yeah, but they're describing him. Like, at this point, you also mentioned it seems like he's pretty fast. I'm just picturing, you know, Astadio just, like, stumbling
1: and bumbling down the line. No uniform that fit him could be found. The only thing that nature made large, large enough for him was a blank. <laughs>
0: Was a, like a, bl- like a blanket, like a blanket, basically like, like a, snuggie. Like
1: a yeah, yeah, yes, like a snuggie. Yes, exactly. A pair of divided skirts, which he put on cutting them off at the knees. Now Jordan, earlier this morning, I slacked you a picture <laughs> and told you, you would need this later. Could you pull it up for me now, please, Jordan? Yeah. That is a pair of divided skirts. Basically, so that
0: is what a divided skirt is? I mean, these just look like like sort of like hammer pants, <laughs> um, but like kind of more... So that's like two skirts, like a sk- one skirt for each leg is kind of what I'm thinking about?
1: It's kind of what a pirate would wear.
0: Right, right, right. Okay, Just so
1: super loosey So Anyway, he put those on, he cut them off at the knees. Now, quote, his appearance with this costume on could be imagined... And it was so ludicrous that it threatened to break up the practice. However, as soon as he got out on the diamond and began to play, he opened eyes and created much wonder. Such stops and throws were made as they never saw before. And with such ease and grace that all were at once convinced he was a wonder. The management signed him on the spot and had a good salary, a move they never regretted.
0: Incredible. What a, what, I mean, thank goodness they had those divided skirts or otherwise he never would have got on the field. Can you
1: imagine? (laughs) You're like, who is this dude? Oh, my God. It is the dumpling. Okay, so he... What what position is he playing? Second base. He's like Dan Ugla. Okay. Okay. Okay, yes. He rakes in Kalamazoo, then he goes to Syracuse, and then he signs with his hometown Orioles, all right? But before Mm -hmm. he can take the field, the American Association, of which the Orioles were a part, backed out of something called the National Baseball Agreement. Mm -hmm. Okay? And what this meant is that the team was forced to become independent. And Mr. Cupid was like, no fucking way. I'm out of here. And he goes to play for Cleveland. And this leads to like an enormous court case between him and the Baltimore Orioles where he's like, I don't want to play for you. You backed out of this agreement. And they're like, but you signed with us. And he's like, but I signed with you as part of the league. Anyway, Cupid wins, goes to Cleveland. The verdict was announced and the Cleveland management telegraphed Orioles manager Billy Barney with the phrase... Blank, 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 blank. Cupid must stay in Cleveland
0: or something like that. He who laughs last, laughs best. <laughs> wait, wait, What? how is that relevant? He who laughs last, oh, oh because he's like, ha we get to keep this guy in your face. This is
1: the equivalent, like whenever you hear of a big free agent signing with a new team, the new manager will text the old manager be like, so excited to have this guy like, I've really heard a lot of great things. This was the opposite. This was like, suck an egg. <laughs> we got your guy through a cork. And and we're still in the in the major leagues. Even so it goes on to play for the Cleveland Spiders. Now, if you know anything about the 1890s Cleveland Spiders, they were a wagon led by their hard-nosed and hot-tempered manager, Patsy DeBow, who we referenced recently. Uh, baseball historian Lee Allen once said that Patsy DeBow was, quote, the prototype of all hooligans, and his players cheerfully followed his example, the prototype of all hooligans. He was like more like the Tony Vitello
0: um, of of 1890s baseball. We don't really have a
1: comp like that in in the majors right now. Throughout his career, Childs missed a good share of games due to injuries and sickness, but was also capable of playing hurt. On August 8th, 1894, Childs fell and broke his collarbone after he was blank, long Uh, sentence.
0: Was this on or off the field? On. After he was ran over by a base runner, like Albert Bell style.
1: After he was tripped purposefully by Pittsburgh first baseman Jake Beckley while running down the first baseline. Oh my God,
0: just straight up tripped and he, and he. oh no, they were bullying him. I don't like
1: this. Cupid must have had great recuperative powers because he was back in the Cleveland lineup at second base just 13 days later. Broken collarbone. What a beast. <laughs> <laughs> Built different. Uh, so the Cleveland Spiders had quite a rivalry with the Orioles uh, during that era, which was interesting. Remember, uh, Childs is from Baltimore. And despite this, he remained very popular in his hometown. Uh, this is in the Baltimore Sun. Cleveland's second baseman child is a Baltimorean. And quote, blank, 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 blank. I'm sorry. You need to read
0: that. He was a Baltimorean and what? And, and blank. blank. This is describing Cupid. He was a Baltimorean and one of
1: the greatest men who ever lived. Many friends in this city. Many friends. Okay, there you go. He still has people there. Uh, again, if you know anything about the 1890s Cleveland Spiders, you'll know that in, ahead of 1899, the whole team essentially got traded to St. Louis because the owners owned two teams and ran the Cleveland one into the ground. And Cupid Childs was a part of this crew, so off to St. Louis he goes. Unfortunately, Childs contracted blank while playing for St. Louis that year. Always tuberculosis, malaria. Hmm,
0: not great. In Cleveland? Yeah, where where are we getting? Where are we scooping malaria on the way there? That feels like a misdiagnosis to me, right? There are so, but dude, there were there were so many things you could have at this point.
1: So yeah. many options. So he has a down year in 1899 because of his malaria. <laughs> but he works his way back. And when asked about his health ahead of the 1900 season, he said, I have been blanking blank and taking light exercise all winter in Philadelphia to keep myself
0: fit. I have been like plowing the fields or whatever.
1: <laughs> Riding horseback. Riding <laughs> horseback. It's like nowadays. Oh yeah, I went to Cressy. Oh, I did drive line. Oh, I got really into Pilates. Can you imagine if you know Kevin Kiermaier was? Oh yeah, I was riding horseback to stay fit. Is is that a workout? Has to be, dude. I mean, I I would think right, but yeah. Hmm. So anyway, the malaria really did not go away.
0: And he didn't come he, back from the malaria. Malaria kind I mean, of derailed his career.
1: He played for a while, uh, and he starts playing. With St. Louis, this is a good one. He gets into a fist fight uh, with an opposing manager. He had uh, been dared by the opposing manager to fight on the field that day, but the two were separated before the trouble could escalate. Childs and the manager then ran into each other at the blank blank when both teams were leaving the city.
0: At the train station.
1: Correct, at the train station. There you Jordan, go, yes. Which, can you imagine the two teams see each other <laughs> and they just, just go at it on the <laughs> on the platform. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I'll see you at, at, you know, gate, whatever. I'll
1: see you. I'll see you in the, in the cafe car. At some point early in that 1900 season, he again began to feel the effects from his previous bout of malaria. His weakened state caused his hand-eye coordination and reflexes to fail him. And he said, quote, if I last through this season, I will quit baseball. I have an excellent business opportunity and we'll get out of the game. The business deal must have blank because he returned to Chicago the following year. The business deal must
0: have fallen through. Must Whoa, have been must ding, have ding, been ding, a pyramid ding, scheme. Ding
1: ding, ding ding ding. Fallen through is correct. Good job, Jordan. We're almost done. Very good. Anyway, he plays in Chicago in 01, Toledo in 02, and 03. He joins the Baltimore Orioles, a hometown. Oh, he's back. Back
0: he's home. All right. Back. They're back April, in the league now. At this, point.
1: Back in the league. In April 28th, the Orioles played an exhibition game against the University of Maryland. Childs went three for five with a triple, and the mm-hmm. Orioles won the game by a score of? 10 to nothing. 26 to zero.
0: <laughs> Tough look for the Terps. Think about it's how far like, they've come since then to, you know, hosting a regional this year. I mean, it's I was going to say,
1: it's like when Northeastern plays the Red Sox. You know? <laughs> Except in, in 1903. Anyway, the weird thing about baseball at this time is that no one ever really knew who owned whose rights, okay? Mm, Because mm -hmm. before he could play an official game for the Baltimore Orioles, a team in Montgomery, Alabama, perked up and said that they had engaged Childs before signing with Baltimore and held his rights. Childs did everything possible to back out of the agreement with Montgomery. But once he realized he had no way to get out of it, he hopped on a train... (laughs) Headed on down to play for the Montgomery Blank. Oh, uh, so
0: I'm assuming not the biscuits, so I'll go with the Montgomery Muffins,
1: <laughs> <laughs> the Montgomery Legislators. That is we a the horrible senators, name for a baseball team. The Legislators. Also,
0: this implies that, like, I mean, he must have agreed at some point to play for Montgomery. Like, well, how did this happen? He must have agreed to it and then got a deal from his hometown
1: team and just was hoping... And tried to it, pretend like like they wouldn't notice. Like when I was in the 11th grade, I agreed to be part of a test program to take an online class. And I hated it. And so I just stopped doing it. And then it turned out that it did count for a grade and that I wouldn't <laughs> have been able to graduate high school if I didn't complete the class.
0: So, so you're I, like, I, I, I did agree to do that. So... Decided so to probably. take a train to Montgomery. Also, 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 he's probably like, I'm not going to
1: mess with the legislators.
0: They seem like mm. they can come
1: after me. That's true. So he gets down there and the Shreveport Times describes his work in glowing terms. Cupid Childs is about one half the team. The way the old leaguer covers the ground and swats the ball reminds one of Cupid's palmy days when he was, quote, the blank blank with the Clevelanders. He was the star infielder the whole thing the whole thing (laughs) he was the whole thing I love that that's the way you would describe someone you love he's my whole thing (laughs) he's the whole thing yeah no that's a a great way to put it his baseball career eventually ends after a couple more seasons and began working as a coal driver
0: but unfortunately
1: as many people of his generation Clarence Cupid Childs Blanked at a young age. Passed. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> passed? What does it say there? Does it say died? Does it say...
1: Die. It Ooh. says died. He passed away after a lengthy illness at age 45.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, November 8th, 1912 in Baltimore. A portion of his obituary from the Baltimore Sun. He made it to... You got to obit. it. Read, quote, Childs was considered the fastest second baseman and one of the heaviest hitters. In the major leagues, I think that's the double entendre. Don't even ask me how. He was the idol of baseball fans, and although never playing on an old Oriole team of Baltimore, he was always given a world welcome because he was a Baltimore boy.
0: Baltimore
1: mm. boy. Damn. Cupid childs, Jordan.
0: The heaviest of- hitter of them all. <laughs> Fats, <laughs> at a, at fatty, five, eight, or dumpling. The dumpling. There was only one dumpling, and it was him. Also weird because isn't Cupid like a baby? Yeah. Right? My so. man just
1: looked like a fat baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, all right. Man, well. like, he, people talk about Jose Altuve showing mm. up to that tryout in Venezuela and they're like, you're too right. small. Imagine showing up to a tryout in Kalamazoo and they're like, you're so fat. We're going to put you in a skirt. And <laughs> they like,
0: dominate. He's like, whatever it takes. I just want to show you what I got. Boom. I'm a ball player. I'm the dumpling. Dude, this dude, I mean, you, you didn't, man, I'm looking at his beer page now. He stole 56 bags in 1890. I mean, this dude was, was not just, it, this wasn't just, like, fast once he's underway, right? I mean, this guy was was legitimate speed threat on the base paths.
1: Yeah. Tim Tebow type build. <laughs> Career uh, war on, on Cupid. Oh, what do you say? Career war on Cupid.
0: 44. I mean, this dude, like, again, not quite, not quite Hall of Fame level, but like a really good career, career 300, 400, 389 hitter. <laughs> so not a lot, of, not a lot of pop in that bat. The, the but apparently he uh, he was very skilled at, at other at other parts of the game. So Cupid Childs, there you go. We we learned a lot uh, about Cupid. Uh, I'm I'm glad that uh, a Baltimore boy was represented here on the BarbaCast um again we will continue these uh moving forward uh if you have if you enjoy the segment let us know you can email us at baseball at gmail.com that's b-a-r-b cast uh thank you to chris tyler for producing this episode of baseball barbacast of course chris it was great to see you in san diego we had a lovely time and we we confirmed that you know what this chris guy he can stick around we will we'll, we'll keep we'll keep <laughs> we'll keep him we'll keep him around for for now Uh, But no, this has been super fun. We had a lot of of fun in San Diego. Thank you all for the support. Seriously, it was awesome to see how many people were listening. Um, So we're going to keep it going. We'll be back on Thursday. I'm sure we will have more transactions to talk about. Uh, But until then, we will see uh, what the Mets payroll climbs to in the next uh, 72 hours. Thank you all for listening. And we will talk to you on Thursday.
1: Series XM Podcasts.